Um, Ephesians chapter 6, we're in a series uh, on the family that is, we're getting ready to wind down um, next week, Lord willing, and um, this week we're going to be in Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4, and we're going to be talking about God's design for childhood and parenthood, if I can borrow the phrase from the sitcom. Um, if I could be honest with you, I don't think there is a topic uh, that a parent feels less qualified to talk about than parenting. Uh, you are never more aware of how poor you are at it, uh, to some degree or another, than when you're doing it. And so um, I have three children, ages five, three, and six months, and I have not parented someone through elementary school, much less than teen years, so it's an intimidating topic for me. But at the same time, it's highly interesting to me because I live this 24-7, right? There's no real breaks from this. You're constantly living it, and I want to do well because God has entrusted me, as he has several of you, with parenting image bearers of God. And three souls, in my case, that God uh, has sent his son to die for. So that's a big deal and a big stewardship entrusted to parents. And so while I feel like I personally have a lot to learn, and uh, I take heart today is that as far as we know, Apostle Paul, who wrote Ephesians 5 and 6 that we've been studying over the last few weeks, as far as we know, did not have a wife or children. And yet God used him to teach on both marriage and children and to pen the scriptures that we have about this. So when it comes to being a child, I've got years of experience. Some would say maybe 38 years of experience. But it's not my experience this morning that I want us to learn from because um, I lack much of that when it comes to parenting. Uh, but it's God's word. And so I don't come to you this morning with lots of helpful advice from, uh, from a wise sage of a parent. I come to you this morning sharing with you uh, what I've learned from God's word and what God's word has to show us this morning about the relationship uh, between children and their, and their parents. And I, I believe that God's word is abundantly sufficient to educate us in this and help us. And so we're talking about that relationship this morning, that pivotal relationship, that important relationship, that catalytic relationship between parents and children. And Paul, we're going to see this morning, the apostle, he is going to address children directly this morning, right? So the people he would have been writing this to, they're obviously old enough to be able to, to be addressed and to understand what he's saying. But at the same time, they're young enough to be under their parents' care. And he addresses them directly, children and parents, and through even what he tells the children, we learn some things about parenting as well. Um, it's a very important text. And so we don't need to forget this morning that God relates to us as our father. So if you're a Christian this morning, uh, we call God our father. He wants us to call us his, his, our heavenly father. He calls us his children, right? And so there's like this parent-child relationship that is given between us and God. When we look to God as our father, he calls us his children. So that the relationship between a parent and a child is pivotal, it's important, because it's got its own reflections and imagery of the gospel, or it should, um, as we know the, the, the foundation of that relationship is, is found outside of us, it's found in how God relates to his people. And so it's important this morning uh, from God's word from, and, and, and how the gospel implications are um, for that relationship. So look with me at Ephesians 6, very, very, Ephesians 6 verses 1 through 4, very classic text. We're going to read verses 1 through 4 together. Here we go. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful this morning to, to read your word together. And God, we confess that we fall short in a myriad of ways when it comes to living out the truths of your scripture. 
But God, we come humbly this morning asking for your help to understand the scriptures, to, to apply them to our life, to obey them and walk in them. So as we open your word and as, we, as I teach from it this morning, I pray that you would open all of our eyes to understand great truths from your word, to apply this to our life, that you would strengthen our families, strengthen the relationship between parents and children in this room. And Lord, I pray that you would bless North Park with godly children who obey and honor their parents and parents who raise their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord uh, so that many disciples are made for generations, we pray. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, so as we read that together, you'll notice two kind of charges, right? He charges to children and he charges the parent. And throughout this text, he charges the one under authority and he charges the one with authority. That's kind of the way he does it throughout the text. He addresses those who are submitting to authority first. And so that's how we're going to break this down this morning. I'm going to talk about the charge to children, then we're going to talk about the charge to parents. So walk with me through it. First of all, let's look at this charge to children. He says, children, obey your parents and the Lord. This is right. Now, honor your father and mother. You see that on down a little bit. We know that is from the Ten Commandments, right? That is one of the Ten Commandments, the big ten. Um, that people hang on their walls, that churches might hang on their walls. Uh, many people, even in our culture, um, that has gotten increasingly biblically illiterate, are familiar with the Ten Commandments. I would dare to say most cannot quote all the Ten Commandments or list all the Ten Commandments, but we have at least heard of that phrase. And the first four of the Ten Commandments are geared towards loving God, right? You know, Jesus said the law and the prophets, you can sum it up, it's love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the first four of the Ten Commandments are really geared towards loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the other six are more about loving people, really, and about how we relate to others. And the fifth commandment, right there in the middle, uh, is to honor father and mother. That's the fifth commandment. So the first commandment about loving people is about children and parents and how children relate to their parents. Because the home is the laboratory where kids are to learn to love God and to love people. The first people they're taught to love well are parents. And relating properly to others starts at home. So it's not by chance, I don't think, that when the Ten Commandments shifts to the relationship between people, that it starts with children to their parents. Because that's the first relationship that we have. And so notice in this particular text, in Ephesians 6, uh, you, you might say this charge to children is broken down into actions and attitudes. And so you see the actions there. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now the first thing we think of when we read that is, who is he talking about when he says children? When we say children, we tend to be thinking about little bitty ones, right? We, wouldn't, we don't tend to think, call 15, 16-year-olds, for instance, children. In the text, what does it mean, though? Well, the word just means offspring, so it's kind of a generic word. But to place it in context of their day and to place it in the context of what he's saying here, um, he's talking about these, these children would be people who are still under the authority of their parents, right? They're, they're still needing their parents to provide for them, to protect them, to care for them. Um, they're still being guided by their parents. They're still under their watch care, you might say. The parents are still accountable to God for their investing in them and their teaching and, their, and, and, and the relationship there. So if you're still under your parents' care this morning, this applies to you. So whether you're 5 years old or whether you're 15 years old or 16 or 17 years old, this still applies to you. It doesn't be, this first passage about obeying your parents doesn't begin to not apply to you until you get from out from underneath their watch care and you become an adult. And you begin to make your own decisions and begin to provide for yourself and look out for yourself. And uh, the relationship dynamic changes. We'll talk a little more about that in a minute. And then the command that is given here, the action that is given, is that they are to obey. And it, it literally means to get under authority. So whether you're 
acting like you're under the authority or not, the command of the children is you need to get under that authority. You need to recognize that authority. You need to submit to that authority in your life, to line up under it. And he says, not just anybody, though. It's not children obey adults. Okay? There's no Bible verse on that. Not that that's not a good thing to do, um, although there can be adults maybe that shouldn't be obeyed if they're obviously <laughs> teaching you to do the wrong thing. But it's children obey your parents, just like it's wives submit to your husbands, and husbands love your wives. It's, it's specific. It's, it's particular people that they're told to submit to, to obey, and it's their parents. So it's not necessarily the state, although the Bible does tell us to obey the government, right, as much as it does not lead us towards sinning against God. It's not... The supreme authority in a child's life is not the school system. Although we know children should behave when they're in the school when they're in school and those sort of things. It's not the nosy stranger at Walmart that likes to jump into your parenting discussion and parenting conversation. Or grandparents, unless they are the guardian of the children. It's your parents, and that's important. It's important and because a lot of people are gonna want to have say and gonna want to have um, input into how you parent. And how kids respond to parents, that whole relational dynamic. And Paul addresses very particular to the home. And he says, listen, children, obey your parents. It's the relationship between the parents and the child that is important and that is critical and needs to be protected. And that is the supreme authority in any child's life. Now, other than God. And that's important to understand that he gives it particularly to their parents because a kid has to know who God wants them to obey in case things conflict. They might hear one thing at school from a teacher or a principal or a guidance counselor. And they might hear another one from their parents. They might hear one thing from grandma or granddad or whoever or an aunt or an uncle and they might, or an older sibling and they might hear something else from a parent. Who are they to obey? Obey your parents, right? So it's very clear. And he says, in the Lord. So it sets some limits and some parameters. Obedience is not unto sin. Kids don't have to lie to get into the movie or the theme park for their parents. Um, meddling there, sorry. Obedience is not unto sin. Obedience, and, and, and obedience does not shield and protect sin in any way, and that would include abuse. Children don't submit to that. Abuse is always wrong in marriage or parenting, and health and safety should always be sought. A lot of talk about that in our culture today. We ought to be able to be real clear on that. Get out, get help. And he says, you, you submit to your parents in the Lord for this is right. This is right, right? Pretty simple argument, right? I mean, he's very cut and dry. What does that mean? It's the right thing to do. Why is it the right thing to do? Because God's word says so. It's God's design. And instinctively, we kind of know it. We just kind of know that it's the right thing to do, that if children didn't obey their parents and they just kind of went their own way and parents just kind of let them go their own way, that we'd have chaos and disorder and not a lot would be learned and our culture would kind of run them up. And we kind of just know that. Even folks that aren't Christians just kind of you just kind of know instinctively it's good for the eight-year-old to learn to obey the parents. And it's bad if they don't. We'll talk more about that in a minute. And so what we're seeing is that children are given the responsibility under God to obey their parents. And parents then have the responsibility to teach their children to obey and to enforce this command. One of the most important things we do as parents is to teach our children to obey us. And it's frustrating because they don't always do it. I know. I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old that know how to say no and do not mind saying it, right? They, they will disobey. If you're not a parent, but you're going to be a parent one day, they will disobey. It's going to happen. Your children are not going to be sinless. They're little sinners. 
And they're going to disobey just like you disobey God. And when we start raising people, parents, who do not disobey God ever, then maybe we'll start producing children who do not disobey their parents ever. But as long as we continue to have adults that disobey God on some level, we'll always have children that continue to disobey parents on some level. But this is what we're striving for is obedience. And this is the habitual practice that we need to have, want to have in place in our homes. Well, why is it so important that children learn to obey their parents? Because ultimately what parents are to be doing is leading their children to love, to, to learn to, lo- to love and obey God. See, the end game of parenting is not children that obey mom and dad. It's children that grow into adults that obey God. If the be-all, end-all is just obey me, and that's where it stops, we're not doing it right. Our homes are laboratories where children are supposed to learn to love and obey God. The home is the training ground for learning to obey God. They're supposed to graduate. They're supposed to move on from that. Children, obey in the Lord. Parents, bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. God is all over it. Do you see that? He's the supreme authority in the text. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Parents, bring them up in the nurture and admonition in the Lord, right? It's it's God is the supreme authority. God is the one giving the command. It's all about God because ultimately it's God that we're trying to get them to. We want them to learn to obey God. And so the home and the parental authority over children is like training wheels. Right? Cannon, he's five, and he drives this. He got this little bike a year, year, two years ago, I don't know. And it's got these little wheels on the side. It's got the two big wheels. It's got these two little wheels on the side, training wheels, right? And so he hops on that thing, and, man, he can go to town. He can go fast. He'll go down. The, he's very brave on that thing with those training wheels on there. And it's supposed to be helping him kind of learn some things about riding a bike, how to manage it, how to handle it, and all that sort of stuff. So he gets to where he can take the training wheels off. So one day, we're going to take those training wheels off, and, and I'll probably want this rolling down a hill, right? I'll probably kind of go beside him. I remember having to do that as a child, my parents being there with me, kind of going down the road. And then we kind of work our way up. That wasn't working too well. And I remember going in the backyard where there was a little hill, and they kind of gave me a little shove down the hill, and I fell down the first few times. They come pick me up, put me back on the back. They helped me. And there was this process, right? Then at some point, the kids just riding their bike on their own. Then at some point... They're riding their back outside the yard. They might be going down the street somewhere. They're going to a friend's house. Or at some point, that might be a mode of transportation. At some point, they grow up. You don't know where they're at, right? Necessarily all the time. Because the training wheels are off. And they're, they're on their own. They're riding the bike. And they know how to ride the bike. And you're not expected to be like right there all the time. Imagine seeing a 30-year-old man riding around with training wheels or jumping in the pool with water wheels on, right? It would be kind of silly looking and ridiculous. But if I take my son's training wheels off too soon, he may get hurt. But if I leave them on too long, I'm going to stun his growth and hold him back, hurt him in other ways. The aim of our parenting is to raise men and women who obey God, to take the training wheels off, not to leave them on. Obeying is important. Important because it teaches that. We are not the end game. Parents are not the end game. The most important relationship, earthly relationship that a child has is with their parents. But the most important relationship is that with God and for them to learn that they are accountable to God. And so their accountability to their parents and their responsibility to obey their parents and all that sort of stuff is mirroring something. It's a shadow of something greater. And that is that they're going to be held account by God God, and they should obey God. And at the same time, parents, we have a limited time. Many of you already know this. Your children are grown. They're out of the home. They have kids of their own. 
It's a limited time. Therefore, we have to maximize it, seize the day, and instill and teach the right things now. Leverage our time and not waste our time because you only get so much. And as time goes on, what you learn is the window you have to pour into and invest in them gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's like your voice gets quieter for a while. Some of you are experiencing this probably now as they go into the teen years. But if we act like obeying us is the enemy, and we have trouble letting go of that in their adulthood and ushering them into adulthood, we show we really don't understand the purpose of parenting in the first place. It's about God and a relationship with God. And rebellion against parents is serious sin in the Bible because ultimately a child that is allowed to just revel in that and that will ultimately grow up into an adult that will rebel against God apart from just a radical change brought by grace. When describing the ungodly in Romans 1.30 and in 2 Timothy 3.2, Paul includes those who are disobedient to parents. Because he's addressing all, all of us, and he wants to address children too. And one of the key ways that a child can know they are in sin is when they're in rebellion against their parents. It, it's, it's, it's a sin to rebel against the authority of your parents. It's like it's a sin to rebel against the authority of the state. Um, or, the sin, or any authority that's in our lives. God places authority in our lives. It's part, part of his design. And we only say no to that authority when that authority is trying to usurp his authority or trying to lead us to do something that's wrong or sinful. So the action is that we are to obey. Children are to obey. The attitude is there to honor. Honor your father and mother. That's right there from, straight from the Ten Commandments. And honor means to value highly, to esteem, to hold in the highest regard, the highest respect. Obedience is temporary. Honor is for life. You're an adult. You don't have to obey your parents, but you do have to honor your parents. And in a, a child will, in, in a child, honor will produce obedience, and in an adult, it will produce respect. Will respect and look. See, when a kid honors their parents, they don't just obey; they're quick to obey. Right? They don't just obey; they obey with the right attitude. It's rooted. It, Honor is, is the attitude that fosters obedience. It makes it easier to obey because of the respect you have for the position God has placed in their life. And sometimes parents do things that aren't honorable. We have to look more to the position that God has placed them in. And so a child should obey with the right tone and with the right attitude, speak to their parents with respect. And it's important that a parent try to instill these things into their children because we have to remember we're trying to get them to God and we're trying to teach them how to in some way reflect how they're going to relate to God. They are to honor the Lord and that they are to obey the Lord. We are not told to honor parents because they're perfect. We're not told to honor parents because they're great parents. It's just because they're parents. Now, parents should be honorable, but it's our role to, to, to lean towards honor as much as we can. We're not, we're not trying, we're not, we're not, we're not, we don't have time to answer all the what ifs this morning. There's a lot of what ifs out there, right? We're talking about general rules and general practices. As we continue to honor, we continue to honor parents later in life as we grow older and as they grow older by making sure, first of all, that our parents are cared for. Right? So for us adults in the room, that's one way we honor our parents. We make sure they're cared for late in life, just as they cared for us early in life. In the New Testament, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for telling people that if they took money that they were supposed to use to help their parents in the in their later years and they gave it to the temple treasurer, 
These Pharisees would say, you could do that, and then you could tell your parents when they come looking for money or looking for help later in life, you could say, sorry, I can't help you. I gave it all to God. And Jesus rebuked them for that because he said they were replacing God's commands to honor parents, for instance, with their own rules. See, our parents cared for us when we were unable to care for ourselves, so we should see that they're cared for late in life when they're unable to care for themselves. And if we all live long enough, we all get there at some point. So we honor them also, though, with a good attitude towards them, showing them grace, showing them forgiveness, being grateful for their investment. For an adult, honoring your parents does not mean honoring all their wishes. That's obedience. It means you value them and respect them for their position in your life under God. And notice it comes with a promise. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now that sounds good, right? You're like, I don't know what it means, but it sure sounds nice. Long in the land, what is that? Well, that's got some Old Testament imagery there, okay? Tied to the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, but... What he means, first of all, is that it's, it's, it's not the first commandment with the promise, but it's the first of the Ten Commandments with the promise, and it's the only one of the Ten Commandments with the promise. He may even be highlighting the importance of the command when he says that. And people de- debate what it means to live long in the land, but we do know it's rooted in the Old Testament language for Israel. And many would say in the New Testament it's more about eternal life and not earning it, but how obedient, uh, an obedient child demonstrates saving faith through their obedience. But I think it's even simpler than that. Commentator, Bible scholar, Harold Hoyner, has this right when he says it's a principle that's at work here. Through learning to honor and obey their parents, children learn self-discipline and self-control and respect for authority. And these disciplines, these attitudes and behaviors serve them well in life and promote the opportunity for both a longer and more prosperous life, generally speaking, than rebellion would. Rebellion increases the chances of a life cut short. It, it, it fosters habits and it fosters bad disciplines, an undisciplined life that gives itself over to a waywardness that can cause a life to be cut short and to be less prosperous. So it's general rules here. It's not saying there's not exceptions to the rules. It's talking in general rules, much like Proverbs would. Children learn important values in, an, in obeying and honoring parental authority that serves them well throughout life. Because remember, the home is like a training ground. It's like training wheels. It's, it's the laboratory where they're learning these things. In high school, you are learning things that right prepare you for the next phase. So when I was in high school, I was supposed to be learning things that would prepare me for the next phase of life, whether that was employment or college. So typically speaking, when someone does well in high school, they've probably learned study habits and things of that nature, disciplines that are going to serve them in college, and they'll do better in college. If they don't do well in high school, they may not get into a college, and even if they do, they might not have the study habits necessarily well to do well in college. And when you're in college, you're learning things that are supposed to help you, what, for the next phase to get to employment. Does that mean there's no exceptions to the rules? Well, of course not. There are people that are high school dropouts, that are millionaires, that are very successful at their jobs. Those are exceptions. They're not the rule, right? The home prepares for life outside. It doesn't mean there are not exceptions to the rule. It's no guarantee, but it's a principle. So it's important that a child learns to obey and learns to honor their parents while in the home and the parents instill that in their children because the principles and self-discipline is being learned in that and self-control and all these sort of things about managing life and emotions and all this is being learned in that that is going to help them prosper in life as a general rule. And if you want to play the lotto with your life, then go ahead, right? 
If you want to play the lotto with your kid's life, go ahead. Don't make them obey. Don't seek to, to drive them towards obedience. And don't teach them that. Let them kind of do their own thing. And, 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 and kids can just kind of go their own way if, if you just want to play the lottery with this. But as a general rule, it prepares us better for the next phase, for a long and prosperous life. But he, he also gives a direct charge to parents. And even though in the charge to children, there's sort of like, because like, there's a lot in there for us parents, he gives a charge to parents when he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As the leaders in the home, parents have a responsibility to their children. Our children are not property. They belong to God. We are stewards. Stewards of image bearers. And notice there are charges here given specifically to fathers. Now, in Paul's day, the father had incredible authority in the home, particularly in the Roman government the Ephesians were living under. Fathers could even decide if the child lived or died. It was an extreme form of authority. Paul addresses them because they are the ones that had authority to, that could really abuse their authority and provoke a child to anger or discouragement. At the same time, we know that Paul's already showed us that the husband is to, to be the point man, the leader in the home, so it makes sense he addresses him. However, this command applies to both, especially in our culture where the, where the authority in the home in terms of how the government looks at it is, is, is a little different, right? Where we, we, both parents, both the husband and the wife, the mom and the dad, have authority in the home. And so, yes, fathers, but yes, parents. Right? It's, it's the connotations are there for both. Some translations even translate it parents. And he says, do not provoke your children to anger. The word provoke means stir up. Right? Don't unnecessarily stir up anger in your children is what he's saying. In Colossians, he, he uses this word again in Colossians 3.21. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. See, when a parent provokes and stirs up this in a child in a way that brings unnecessary anger into the child's life. It can breed resentment and bitterness and ultimately leads to the child getting discouraged or simply giving up in areas. It, it pours ice water on the embers of their soul, so to speak. Because you are the primary relationship outside of God in their life. And a lot of what they need, God has designed it for you Parents, to give it to them. For us, to give it to them. And so if we provoke our children to anger, it breeds resentment, it breeds bitterness, it breeds unnecessarily anger, it hurts the relationship between the parent and the child, and ultimately it discourages the child, pours that ice water, so to speak, on the hot embers of their soul, and they just kind of quit. They kind of quit. One of the primary ways a parent can provoke anger is through their own anger. Hence, Paul tells the Ephesians and us to deal with our anger, right? Because we all wrestle with this beast called anger. So in Ephesians 4.31, right before all this, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. He says, put it away from you. Before he deals with not provoking anger in your children, he says, we've got to deal with our own anger. We've got to crucify it. We've got to nail it to the cross. We've got to let it die. We've got to die to ourselves. See, usually in parenting, our anger is fueled out of our own frustration, our own exhaustion, our own selfishness. It's rarely righteous if we get real honest about it. Very rarely. It's usually because we're inconvenienced. It's usually because we're just 
tired and we're fallible. And when you're tired, you do stupid things and sinful things and selfish things. But heed this warning. Anger is contagious. It is contagious. Proverbs 22 Verses 24 and 25 says, Make no friendship with the man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. We can learn the ways of the angry, and our children will learn the ways of our anger. So we must be careful that our children not learn our ways of anger. We must deal with anger by crucifying and remembering that no one had any more reason to be angry than God had to be angry at us for our sin. Righteous, just anger against our sin. And Jesus has turned it into favor by satisfying God's wrath so that we can be saved and rescued and be in right relationship with God. And that should motivate us to put away our anger and shower our children with favor and love. But there are other ways we can provoke our children to anger. Let me give you some. Ten ways that you can provoke your children to anger. Being uninvolved in their life. Neglectful, you might say. Even neglectful of discipline, by the way. Kids know when we're uninvolved, detached. They know when we say we love them, but we do not spend time with them. They know when they're not a priority in our lives. Provokes anger and discouragement in their lives. Here's another way. Being too harsh with our words or with our discipline. Our words can harm and our discipline can be too harsh. Our goal should be to discipline as God does, and it's always in love to bring about our holiness. It's never just for the sake of kicks because we're had a bad, he's had a bad day, right? God doesn't come home from a bad day and say, you know, now every little thing gets on his nerves now, right? That's not how he disciplines his children. It's always good. It's always got the right intent. And so our discipline of our children shouldn't be too harsh. Also, being too strict with our rules. Nobody likes a legalist, Right? Jesus didn't care for it in the Pharisees, and your children won't care for it in you or me. Don't be a legalist. Don't exalt your rules over God's rules. Don't be too strict with your rules. Don't always be looking for a reason to say no. Look for some reasons to say yes. Seems like nobody liked the Pharisees, right, in the New Testament, but who? The Pharisees. When we make the rules, we, got, we like the rules. So we have to be careful that we're not too strict with our rules. Setting the wrong priorities and goals for our kids is another way we can if what is the most important is their performance, for instance, instead of knowing and loving God, ultimately that's going to, they're going to feel that. If your ultimate goal is to get them to perform the right way or to become like you in every way or whatever it may be, if it's something other than to raise a child that knows and loves and worships God, ultimately the foundation is going to crack. And there's going to be some anger there because those other things, they're not worthy things and they're not going to hold up. They're not going to stand the test of time. Here's another way. Being hypocritical. Nobody likes a hypocrite, right? Back to the Pharisees. Do as I say, not as I do. is sure to cause anger and discouragement in our homes. For instance, we can't be the foul-mouthed parent who is upset when we have foul-mouthed children, right? Can't be hypocritical. We can't play favorites. Here's another one, playing favorites. Isaac favored Esau in the Old Testament. Rebekah favored Jacob. And it created such a harmonious atmosphere in their family. No, of course not, right? It was just conflict and war. Created rivalry and deception and fear. Playing favorites with your children. They pick up on that kind of stuff. Don't advertise with the favorites. I'm just kidding. But, um, <laughs> not taking their problems seriously. I think this is one 
for us with younger kids, this is one that we can forget about. Your, your 12-year-old's problem or your 5-year-old's problem or may, may not be the same as your problem or our problems in, in life or at work or whatever's going on. But to them, it's huge, right? To them, it's huge. And we feel to t- fail to take serious and meet them on their level. We stir up anger and resentment. See, look at God. What did he do? He took our greatest problem, what? Very seriously. He didn't say, you know what? I'm up here, you're down there. I'm God. You've got a problem, a sin problem. And so, no, he, he did something about, right? He met us on our level. He, he actually sent his son to, to die for us. He literally walked in our shoes. Lived in this fallen world among us. When we, when we don't take our children's problems seriously, and now part of parenting is teaching them the difference in what is a big problem and what is not. But a part of it is just listening and hearing them out and walking through these things with them. Because their problems will grow as they grow. But for a little child, a little problem is a big problem. Here's another way to, to provoke our children to anger. Mock them and belittle them. They get enough of that in the world from peers and at school. The home should not be a place that mocks and belittles a child for what they did or what they can't do. Do you like being the do you do you like getting the brunt of the joke on you all the time? No. Neither do they. Provokes anger. Doesn't provoke anything in any of us, but anger. If we're always the butt of the joke. Never encourage them. That's another way. Never encourage your child. If all you do is nag and critique and never encourage, we'll discourage them. Never take the training wheels off. See, we have to progressively entrust more and more and more and more and more and more and more to our children. Okay? See, there's, there's a couple of ways to parent. There's the light switch method and there's the dimmer method. Okay? The light switch method, method is the lights are on. We've got light switches in here. Now we could walk over and then all of a sudden you cut it off and it's complete darkness, right? Was light, now there's not light. The dimmer method, you can slowly turn it down and it gets less and less and less and less and less and less and less. And I think the dimmer method is a lot more appropriate here for parenting, and here's why. If you parent a 17-year-old the way you parent a 4-year-old, they are going to hate your guts. And you will provoke anger in them because they are 17 and not 4. It treats them like they're stupid, right? And so... It makes no sense to be like this, right, over everything. Like they're riding the bike and you're right beside them, right? It's like, you know, the people at Disney World that's got their parents attached, you know, they got their kids attached to it. Maybe it is the kids with the parents attached. But the, attached to the string, like the little stretchy thing. Those were real big when I was a kid. I remember seeing those. I was like, oh, man. Um, I'm glad I'm not on the leash, right? And um, it's like never taking that off, right? And they're 17 and they're still like in that, you know, they're still walking around with their parent with the, with the little accordion-looking... Uh, piece of plastic on their arm. It doesn't work well. And so, there's responsibility right now that at five years old, Cannon does not have, but there's responsibility at 15 he will have. And I won't parent him the same way at five, or I better not, and 15, or 16, and 17. I'm just turning the dimmer down. I'm not leaving. I'm not turning it off. I can turn it back up when I need to, Right? But I need him to learn to live life without me standing over him and ultimately without me altogether. Because one day, I'm going to be dead and gone. And I need him to be responsible. I need him to be able to parent. So it's very important 
that as our children age and as they grow up, we let them do so. And that we learn to parent older children different than younger children and give them a measure of authority in their own life and not rule over them like overlords. How often have you heard this? My parents loved me and taught me about Jesus. They prayed with me and encouraged me. When I did wrong, I was disciplined, but it was fair and with love. And when I did right, I was affirmed. And I always knew, always knew I was loved and cared for. They had a loving marriage. It was a nurturing environment. And I hated them. I've literally never heard that story. Not as a youth pastor. Not as a pastor. Not as just a person living life. Never heard that story. It's usually my folks fought all the time. And I was always in the middle. Or my mom or my dad was never around. Or that is, there's always something else there, usually. And there might be two sides to the story. I get that. But the parent's role starts with making sure we aren't shooting ourselves in the foot with our own poor behavior, attitudes, and neglect. He starts there. He starts with us making sure we're, we're creating the right environment for what's coming next, which is to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Because if we're provoking them to anger and discouragement, we're not going to be able to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. They're not going to have ears to hear from us. The phrase there, bring them up, literally means to nourish to maturity. Right? Bring them up so that we can let them go. It's all-encompassing. It's spiritual, physical, emotional, relational components. Are all, all that needs to be nourished and matured. And he says, do this in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The goal is to point them to who? The Lord. Because they're His. It's to teach them His ways. It's to point them to Jesus, not ourselves. The word discipline means training. It's training in regards to rules and conduct and behavior. It's about more than simply teaching them. Words written on a page or words spoken. Discipline, it's about living it out. It's going to the batting cage, so to speak. There's training involved. It's... It's the training needed for a child to mature in life, mentally, physically, socially, spiritually. And it can be painful at times, as it is in your life, right? The weight room isn't easier. More people would go. The track would be busier around the lake if it was just easy to go do it. Discipline and training can be difficult. It can be hard. At times it means corrective discipline. But it's an ongoing thing. It's training in life, but in the Lord. God and His ways are the lens through which we should train our kids to, to look through. It's imparting His truth, not simply our truth. And that's where we see the word instruction, the discipline and instruction. This is instruction for correct belief and behavior. It's a form of teaching, an intense form of teaching. But see, we can't do these things without being involved, actively involved in the lives of our kids. These things can't be done without intentionality. It's an intentional habit, and it should be led by the dad. That's why he calls out fathers. But both parents should be engaged in doing this. Many times, mom gets more time with the kids than dad. And that simply highlights her importance in all this. But it doesn't give the dad an excuse to phone it in. Because the New Testament calls us to account. So dads, when we are at home with the kids, or we're out with the kids, mom's not around, she's at work, or she's out doing something, we're at home with the kids or we're out somewhere with the kids. We are not babysitting. And you're not on mom duty. It's called being a father. It's called being a dad. It's part of our role. And the parents, with dad running point, are given the responsibility of bringing up the children 
mentally, physically, spiritually, socially, and spiritually to the point of maturity. It can't be pawned off on the state or the schools. Orange County public school system is not going to be who stands before Jesus one day for how your children were brought to maturity and instruction, discipline in the Lord. And it's going to be us. We can't pawn it off on the church or the children's ministry or the youth ministry or the small group leader. It's the role of the parent. And it's the church's role to come alongside and support and to disciple all. But listen, children are best discipled by a discipled mom and dad. Okay? The, the best person to disciple a child in the ways of the Lord is a mom and dad who have been and are being discipled. They're growing in the Lord. Not someone else. We teach the word. We provide environments. We offer counsel. We offer accountability. We encourage. But parents must parent. And the church must be the church. And the family must be the family. And we all have to do our roles of what God has called us to do. So parents should seek to bring up their children, provide for them mentally, physically, socially, and spiritually nourishment unto maturity, engage their minds, provide for their needs, teach them how to relate to God and others, all through the lens of God and His Word, all under the Lord and in the Lord. That's the role of the parent. Listen, that requires time. We have to set aside time for certain things, but it also means it needs to be in our routine because... You can't set aside enough time. I've said this before, but sometimes we go searching for quality time with our kids, and it gets lost if we don't produce quantity time. You, you can chase your whole life, your children's whole childhood, for quality time. Give them quantity time, and quality time just happens. It just happens. But it requires time. And we should set aside time for things like family devotionals and things of that nature. But it also should be as we go. And it also requires effort and energy. Listen, don't give your family the effort and energy that would get you fired at work. Don't, don't give them less than you would give somewhere else. Because that is what's primary, is our families. And it's also going to require teamwork. Mom and dad working together, being on the same page with dad as the initiator, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago or last week. You know who the greatest example of a parent is? It's God, right? Heavenly Father, He loves us, He saved us, He protects us, He provides for us, He disciplines us. And being the dad or the mom or the daughter or the son that God has designed us to be starts with knowing Him and being under His authority and pursuing His design. Let me ask you this morning, do you know God as your Father? He loved you so much that He sent His Son as you get older, as you parent, things like that, the gospel just continues to blow your mind more and more when you think about how God has chosen to communicate it to us. That God sent His Son for us. That's the kind of loving Father He is to us. And that's the kind of elder brother we have in Christ who came and laid down His life for us to bring us into the family. Jesus is the only perfectly obedient Son to ever live. My son's not that. And I wasn't that kind of son. And you aren't that kind of son or daughter. And your children will be that kind of son. Only Jesus is the perfectly obedient son. And he perfectly obeyed his parents while on earth, but he perfectly obeyed his heavenly father, which is of even more supreme importance as we know. Philippians 2.8 tells us, being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Obedient to who? The father. 
Jesus' obedience to His Father brought you and me salvation. There's so much in parenting that pictures and portrays the gospel. And the gospel is communicated through that lens of the idea that Jesus obeyed His Father so that you and I could be brought into the family. Let me ask you this morning, are you, if you are a believer this morning, are you pursuing God's design in your home? Are you pursuing God's design in your home? As a parent, as a child, is there sin to be repented of? That you can't really adequately pursue God's design because you've gotten so off course from it. There's just got to be repentance and confession. Is the relationship torn and tattered in your home between parents and children, or father and son, or mother and daughter, or whatever it may be? Can you, can you, will you begin to pursue God's design? And North Park, are there families that you know of that you need to pray for this morning? Maybe your kids' families, your grandkids' families. Are they pursuing God's design? How might you better pray for them as we learn from Ephesians 6 today? Even if we're in situations where we're not parenting children anymore, how can we pray for our kids and for our grandkids? How can we pray for the other families in the church? Because a healthy church family will be made up of healthy 